2: Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovic, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome, listeners, back to the Humane Podcast. Today, we are talking about automation, the future of tech, no code, low code, everything from enterprise to consumers. This year in 2021, it's been going mainstream. Thinking back to the days of when I started coding, thinking with Lisa Explains It All, GeoCities and the likes, and now we're refreshing in a new generation of anyone can be a developer. So for today, we have... Uh, Siggy Aliahu, who is the founder of Tonkin. Tonkin is very specialized in automated tooling. And I love seeing how anyone can be a developer. So Siggy, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
3: Well, thanks for having me, David. I'm happy to be here.
2: Well, I'd love to tee up for our audience where you are today with your startup. You've been scaling up, very involved with enterprises, very involved with product releases. And this movement is exciting. I'm really interested to hear that as someone who's an educator and developer to see that there's exciting tools out there to build and make products. So can you share with our audience about
3: what Tonkin does today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think you touched an important point there. Tonkin, is we we raised uh, our A round right before the Corona pandemic it, so April of of 2020, and been growing rapidly since. So it's very exciting time for us. Tonkin is almost five years now. And so I like to say that I've been singing the same song for the last five years. And, you know, it wasn't the same market as it was five years ago, which is a great thing for us. And I think you touched on the important point is what does it mean to enable more people to use software And what impact would that have on enterprises and business and everyone's life? I think that's what we're all about. It's been amazing
2: to see in the last decade how this movement that started perhaps with companies like Zapier has now grown into these verticals of MarTech and sales tech and building for anyone. What inspired your growth and and Tonkin to scale?
3: Yeah, I think the... Biggest moment for me was actually in my previous job. So before starting Tonkin, I was VP engineering in a public company, public software company, and had the opportunity to grow my team quite rapidly. We joined from acquisition and grew the team there from a handful of people to over 150 people. And so, you know, really doing very couple years, maybe. When you think about the challenges that comes with growing operations, there's the internal challenges, and then there's the external challenges of working with other departments and, and really working across different processes. Now, I'm a software guy. I've been writing code since I was 10 years old kind of thing. And so for me, software should always be the solution, right? Always the first place to go to. And even though we had all those great tools in place and, you know, the top CRMs and the top, you know, project management tools and, and like most companies. It didn't feel like it helps to force people into those softwares. It didn't feel like if I need to align my sales team and my engineering team, you know, around let's say some big deals that we have that need both. You look at the CRM, you don't have the information that you need. You look into the the project management system, it's not there. So I try to hack, you know, those systems together, trying to connect them together with, you know, the like of integration platform, as you mentioned, even building our own homegrown solutions, it just didn't work. It didn't fix the problem. And it felt like the only thing we can do is do another sync meeting, you know, and get together. So that was sort of the best, the biggest moment for me of realization to where I realized that business processes are actually not about data, they're about people. But software in enterprise is almost 100% about data, it's always about Pulling data, looking at data, you know, working with data, creating screens about data, or transitioning data. Even when you think about those integration platforms that, you know, early on, like Zapier, they were still about moving data or, or perform, you know, data actions in a simple way. It's still all about data. Yet business processes are about people, which means you need to coordinate people, you need to, you know, um, follow up with them, you need to honestly nag them <laughs> to do to do the things that you need them to do. So how do you actually go about using technology in a process that is very dynamic, very asynchronous, and very human-centric? And the answer is that you didn't actually have anything to do that for you. So I felt, well, that sounds like a big enough problem, you know, to go pursue. So that's that's when we decided to start talking.
2: I think that's exciting because, as you mentioned, when whether you're on the business side or the tech side with sales motions or as an engineering manager, there's so many one-on-ones and syncs and reports and skip-level meetings. And before you know it, it it just doesn't all get completed, and it can be very manual processes. And automating that and scaling that to augment workers to focus less on the routine and more on the insight uh, to drive business results, sounds like that's really what Tonkin's focusing on
3: exactly because look technology and you know i know a lot of the audience are engineers and technology focused people when you think about technology you think about software even more specifically it's all about lever it's all about leverage right it's all about performing more with the same amount of energy or less it's about focus it's about being able to focus energy to the right places and i strongly believe that people has a very unique skill set, unique capabilities that even with um, advances in machine learning and AI that are great and can do a lot more, they're still very much bounded into answering questions versus coming up with the questions. And so that is a very different type of skill set, that creativity that people has. And so if we're not focusing on the important things, our life Happiness and you know how we feel about ourselves is lower. self-esteem is lower, but also the output of the company or the organization or the group of people that we work with is much lower. So what is the role of technology is to empower and enable us to do our best, right? And I feel and i and I still feel that there's a huge gap in how we leverage technology within businesses. It's the ability to work with people, but it's also who can leverage technology. And I think that's kind of where, you know, we realized the biggest potential of Tonkin. And so in a high level, it's a no-code platform for operation teams. We call it the operating system for business operations. It's really abstracting the complexity of business processes, which are human-centric, highly dynamic, highly complex, simplifying it to a non-coder's business professionals, operation teams, like sales operations, marketing operations, legal operations, and JAR operations and so on to be able to build their own solutions that are across a process, not necessarily creating a new app where you can view and manage data, but actually streamlining a process end to end across different systems and across different teams. And that is very exciting because it opens up areas where people literally are shocked that are now can be automated. It's almost as if we got so used to the fact that you know, oh, okay, this thing has to go through email that we don't even think about the time wasted and the energy wasted on the routine and maintain. So everything you said, plus the fact that so much of the routine maintain is actually invisible to us because we we don't even consider it possible to be automated. Right.
2: And in a post-pandemic world, we're starting to see how this automation, these routines become more and more relevant, especially as teams are distributed and globally and in many countries. I know the Tonkin team is uh, split all over the world as well. A lot of focus in both San Francisco and Israel. You know, you're a startup nation guy, just like myself, my dad being from uh, Tel Aviv and Petak Tikva. It's always great to speak with Israeli founders. You know, what's led you to scale also as a distributed model? Have you seen, you know, your product be effective, not just for yourself, but many companies that are global companies as well?
3: Yeah, I think when the pandemic hit and everyone moved in almost overnight, right? It was really, really quick to be fully remote. That put a lot of concepts that, you know, we thought, I think everyone, including myself, we thought as obvious to be all of a sudden in question, right? I always had a remote team or more accurately team that is, like you said, distributed on both sides of the globe. I started a company from uh, the Silicon Valley. So I moved here before Tonkin. And so we started by having two you know, sites, even when we were four people. <laughs> but it still was shocking to me how quickly Everyone had to adapt to a new reality in which there is no option you know you have to fit this this remote world and the one thing that I think is everyone can relate to is how many meetings you almost didn't had before and now have on your calendar, how much time and communication and collaboration becomes feels heavier and becomes more mundane and I think the and i and I wrote a couple of times about it. I think we are over or underestimated more accurately, underestimated the value of serendipity, right? Of conversations that just happen because you're in the same room or you're just in the same building. Now, you know, there is no by chance. You have to put everything on the calendar. You have to, you know, text for a second. Hey, can you talk for five minutes? Everything is more measured and, you know, not because we want to, because, you know, we're forced into it. Now, all of a sudden, all that coordination and all that work that was not in the spotlight become more in the spotlight because we're remote and because everyone are remote. That definitely pushed a lot of the automation world and a lot of our sort of human-centric processes world to the top of mind. Because now you can see how much of the work you actually do every day and all of us is not necessarily in systems it's between us people and how much of it is manual
2: that's right and all these one-on-ones and meetings we have communication we're writing down it normally it would be on our moleskins and now it's on these google docs and you know where does that information get actioned how do those operations get immediately put into playbooks and into processes. And the challenge that many enterprise team members who are leading projects and products realize is you're always in these back-to-back meetings, especially in this post-pandemic world. So do you ever get time to action and move things forward when you're just racing between meetings? It sounds like processes and technology that Tonkin makes can be very helpful for enterprises to be more efficient and to get focused on driving real value.
3: Exactly. And you know another thing is really What does it mean to get efficiency, right? What does it actually mean to to create a better work environment, a better process, a better, you know, execution? It really comes down to how you think about the process to begin with. You know, one, one of the big things we're pushing forward is a concept we came up with, which is people first process design. The funny thing is that it's not even about what technology you have. We also believe that most companies and most people misuse technology in the way that they even structure their processes. A lot of times when we think about a process and we think about a group of tasks or actions that needs to be done, we think about it from the limitation of, again, the data or the tools or the levers that we think we have versus what is the ROI or what is the impact on the people that are involved. All right? Let me give you an example. So... We talked about, you know, sales and engineering, but another example that I like to give is what happens if you have legal involved in things, right? Contracts is something everyone can relate to. Everyone signed a contract in, in their life. And so if you think about a sales organization that need to sign an NDA or sign a, some sort of a contract as part of their sales cycle, they're relying on, on another department on legal to be involved. If I come and tell you the the turnaround time of contracts is too slow, Right, it takes too long. What would you traditionally do? Right, you'll go to the legal team, maybe the legal operation team if they exist, and what they'll do is go online and search for contract management system. Right, if I have a problem with the contract lifecycle, it's probably because my contract management, the data itself, is not managed correctly. But that's obviously not the case. Right, you spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to deploy these new contract management systems and a legal portal, you know, to try to self-serve those things, but it doesn't work and the engagement is really low. Why is that? Well, salespeople, they don't really care about the legal portal. That's not part of their personal ROI, right? Their job is to close the deal. So that what they'll do is what they always do. Email legal at company.com and ask, hey, where gonna find this NDA? Hey, you know what's our latest you know contract with this company? And you can imagine this happens exactly the same between QA and engineering and between product and engineering and between to any department, even within departments as well, because people has different ROI and therefore they have what I call their own Darwinistic way of doing things. And if we're not designing the process into their strength, then we're actually replacing one inefficiency with another. And That's kind of where we're, you know, strive to, to help operation teams. They know the process, they understand it, provide them with a tool set with a platform where they can actually create efficiency on top of existing systems and on top of existing behaviors. So maybe you can replace some areas because they're inefficient or insufficient, but then other people might not need to change their behavior and you can make the technology sort of fit people versus forcing people to fit the technology.
2: And so with this movement that, Siggy, you're calling people-first AI or people-first processes, what you're saying is you can customize this to every employee. One employee may have certain processes that they need to strengthen. It could be more software as a service, data as a service. Another might be more around documents, NLP, computer vision, OCR. So it can vary for every employee, for every team, and every project.
3: Yeah, and... There's two layers to it, really. This personalization, as you refer to it, there's the personalization for the role, right? Like what is important for that role? What is important for that team? What are the things that working well? What are the things that are not working well as part of this end-to-end operation? And then there's the individualism of the specific person, the individual himself or herself, right? For example, one person might like to work in email. One other person actually prefer SMS or Slack or Microsoft Teams or whatever, right? Or maybe they actually prefer to work in their, you know, go-to SaaS application, be Jira or Salesforce or whatever it is, right? So can you actually create a solution that focus and um, put in front of, of everything else the... ROI of the role and the ROI of the company, but also remember that people are different. Some people, you know, you talked about, you know, Israel, right? Some people don't work on Fridays. Some people work on Sundays. Some people don't work on Sundays. You know, they work on Mondays. Can we create something that is a little bit more, you know, twenty first century, where we can actually understand that the world is more global than it used to be, and work is more global, and to get the best case scenario outcome, you need to actually leverage everyone. And that is something that I feel our platform allows to do, but more of that the movement of no code and low code really is all about is enabling more people to create more solutions that are more customized for their own process, their own team, their own company versus buying package solutions off the shelf. It might work for some of the things, but you end up using 20% of their features at best.
4: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously.
2: Now let's dive deeper into the no-code and low-code movement. Low-code, of course, is exciting when someone is that data scientist or software engineer and they have the technical capabilities to customize it, but that's not always the case. We have a lot of business people today, and even though Everyone can be a developer, and everyone's learning Python and SQL. It doesn't mean everyone has those capabilities today. So why are you so bullish on the no-code movement specifically?
3: Yeah, I think this, uh, this is a really good point, and I think a big point of confusion in my mind. I think no-code and low-code are, are both playing on the same, you know, call it wave of future improvement and future next steps of software. So I think. You know, for many reasons, they are in the same global area. But at the same time, they're night and day. They're actually very, very different. Low code, by definition, is the ability for developers to do more things with less code. But it's a low code because you still need to code. And even if you're not writing scripts, right, like Python or or any other coding language, you still expect it to be a developer mindset and skill set if you're a software engineer the difference between the the different coding languages you know has pros and cons on depends on what you're trying to solve in reality it's all coding and you know that co- going in the low code movement allows you to move faster so it's basically saying the same people that can code today can code faster they can do more things some they don't need to reinvent the wheel every time let's take some things that are very repeatable and just make them not code. And then the rest will still be code, right? Uh, a good example can be creating a, a web application or a website, right? You might wanna be able to just, some of the UI element, you don't need to rewrite yourself. You can just you know, use low code system and, and then code the logic around it. No code on the other hand is a more extreme statement and it actually brings a completely different value. And that's why I'm excited about it so much. No code is about expanding the pie, making the pie bigger of people that can actually build things. So it's instead of saying you can do more things faster, it's saying more people can do more things. And why is that important? Is because if you think about the impact of technology and, and the growth of technology over decades and over um, many, many generations and iterations and software in specific too, the big leaps does not come for making things faster. Those are linear growth. The big things comes from opening the door for different new people that can now code, right? You know, my, my wife, grandpa is 96 years old and he, you know, used to work for NASA and was coding with punch cards. You know, I don't know how to code with punch cards. Uh, But I can code in Assembler. I guarantee most developers today doesn't know how to code with Assembler. What does it mean? Does it mean that I can code faster with um, JavaScript or Python? Of course, I can code faster than Assembler. But it also means that the entry level of knowledge and skill set to come and build things is much lower. If you go all the way to, again, companies like even Webflow and so on on the website creation, Think about all the professionals, you know, photographers, designers, things that has n- they would never want it to be a coder. They can just build a website for themselves, completely no code. They don't even need to understand how code works in order to build that website. They just need to understand what they want it to look like and, and what are the user flow that they care about. Similarly, with Tonkin, we believe that operation ops people. So again, sales ops, legal ops, finance ops. People that professionals that understand processes really well, they understand what needs to happen and why and what's important, but they don't know how to code, so they don't even understand how API works or well enough to create mission critical uh, solutions. And so, if you give them low code, it's not very useful for them. There's, they can do toys, you know, they can do like um, small things that you know create um, small impact. But they would never be able to build huge complex systems with low code because the gap is not in the speed, the gap is in the you know knowledge that they come with. With Tonkin being full no code, we focus on that business processes segment and have created it to be fully no code in the sense that you can you don't need to be a developer in your mindset. You don't need to understand the way data flows. It builds asynchronously, it builds in a way that is really fit human processes in a way that just like you would write it you know, on a whiteboard, your process, you can write it in Tonkin and it will actually also automate it. So it's really exciting technology as a whole, the ability to abstract complex things. And that's what operating operation systems are, right? That's what any big leap in technology was, making something that is relatively complex at that time and make it far simpler for new people to come in and start innovate with it. And you can never know where it will take you.
2: And, and this is exciting to hear the benefits of Tonkin that you have described, Siggy, uh, for biz ops and sales ops and marketing ops and legal ops and the whole ops space as a whole. Though it's amazing to also hear about your background and your story, you know, being as you said, someone who's developed since your early years in Assembler and, and, and other uh, languages that Engineers often think about, you know, do I prefer no code? Do I prefer low code? Is there a risk that AI and automation solutions like this could replace my job in the future? Do I want this? What's your experience? You've, you've been on both sides of the coin.
3: I think there's always going to be the need for implementers and the need for architects. And I think that's an important distinction that people sometimes forget. I want to increase the Amount of people that can implement their own solutions, and I think there there always needs to be architects, and architects have to understand the ins and outs, right? And so, in order to be an architect, you would need to still be a technical person in that case, right? That understand how network works and how data flows and all that stuff. And so, in many in many ways, by the way, Tonkin is a bridge between biz tech and IT and corp engineering with the operation teams. Because we actually serves both sides. We allow the business technology teams under IT or under engineering to stop being the implementers of every you know nuanced business requirement and actually move to be more of the enterprise architects of how solutions should be built in in our company and empower the operation teams and business analysts to implement their own solutions, right? Similarly, when you think about software best practices. The most basic concept in software development is abstraction, is separation, is reusability. If you copy paste code, that's basically the worst best practice you can come up with, right? You'll just end up with more and more bugs and more areas to maintain. So reusability and abstraction, separating the data layer from the business logic, those are just bread and butter of how you write software. So this is just another manifestation of it, just in a bigger scale
2: and thinking about uh, software and thinking about low code and no code you know we've been sharing today that all these operation segments like revops legal ops it ops they traditionally have not been thought about as being automated about bringing in rpa about bringing in these processes however you know it shouldn't be that case i i feel that if that's the business side that's generating revenue that's helping a company scale they should be Forward thinking, investing in technology, looking for new processes to be bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, and all of that. Why do you think traditionally or historically these areas have been neglected with that, you know, tech investment?
3: I think there's many reasons to it. Um, I have to say that first of all, you know, we've done a survey earlier this year with um, 500 professionals, you know, in, in big enterprises and trying to understand what is the state of operations. And to my surprise, 95% of all IT and operation teams have already adopted or are planning to adopt in the next 12 months a no-code or low-code solution. So we're in a a very active place of this market. But that wasn't the case, and you're right. Uh, Five years ago when we started talking, no one understood what I want. (laughs) And it wasn't until the first, what I call the first wave of digital transformation happened. So it's almost like we needed to move from pen and paper to a digital form of the same exact work, right? There's a Word document is just like your paper. It's exactly the same, it's just digital, right? So you had to get to a place where first of all, things are digital. And then you had to also get to a place where moving data around and the connectivity is in a different layer and a different level. And that's kind of where the cloud revolution with and the software as a service, the SaaS revolution, was extremely important. So in a way, it had to be now. You know what I mean? It had to have some of those predisposal, sort of like predefined steps to pass in order to get to a point where the industry is ripe for more automation. I think the need for efficiency in those department was always there. I think what we're seeing right now is the movement from personal productivity to operational efficiency. And those are different. It's not about me saving five more clicks. It's about us as a team focusing on the right thing. And so that is an important shift that I think only happened in the last, call it three to five years, if not less. And that's why we're seeing so many new innovation and so much demand on the ability to move faster and do more, and to be honest, be more adaptive and being able to control you know, your own future as a team and as a department and focus on the things that matters to you.
2: And in the post-pandemic world, technology matters to everyone. Uh, I know in the latter half of 2020, you ran a Changemakers hackathon where you got to bring ideas to nonprofits and smaller businesses to get involved with technology that Tonkin provides to accelerate these business operations. What were some of the takeaways you saw from running a, a hackathon like Changemakers?
3: That was amazing, actually. It was, first of all, it was an amazing experience I think for me personally and for the team, you know, when you're trying to build something new, the guiding light and sort of the driver is always impact, right? I wanna I wanna be able to impact people's life. I wanna be, be able to impact and create a future that I feel is gonna be better. But it takes time. It takes time to build it, it takes time to see the impact. So it's kind of rare to have a snippet to it in a meaningful way. And I'm not talking about closing, you know, deals or accounts or, you know, getting revenue. That is obviously the, you know, the the driver of a business. But the individual driver is to actually see the impact on human's life. So this wasn't the the incentive, but that was the result of of the Changemakers for me personally. So Changemakers, just in a few words, uh, was a hackathon we did to bring together, trying to match nonprofit that has operational challenges with what we call makers. And makers can be developers or can be operational professionals that actually wanna you know wanna do good and wanna help. And usually, there those guys are guys and girls are from those bigger companies, from you know highly paid you know tech professionals that nonprofit never have access to. And so the idea came from one nonprofit that we we helped the the beginning of the year, and we have worked with multiple nonprofits where we gave our software for free. And when we saw what that impact was for this one nonprofit, we realized, hey, why not doing that globally? So we were able to bring over 25 nonprofits in that uh, week uh, and match them with makers from all across all walks of life and you know, all, all around the world. And for a week, they were able to walk through some of these operational challenges. Of course, we gave our software for free. We had great partners that gave their software for free too. But it wasn't even about the software. It was about how much a small change and a small improvement to someone's operations, what impact does it does for them? And, you know, nonprofit, every every dollar matters, right? Because they live out of donations. So they need to be even more efficient in the way they spend. And so literally people were in tears at the end of it, in the closing ceremonies when they presented um the solutions that that they come to during the week and the impact it's going to do in their, on their business. And I was just in awe by the great work, you know, 25 different organizations all across, you know, the areas of social spectrum of where, you know, where people need help. And here we are, you know, nerds, you know, tech people are able to impact so many great causes simply by, enabling them to uh, be more efficient. I thought it was a great moment for anyone that believes in technology to really understand that in- the impact you might have is way bigger than than you can even imagine, and the reach that you can have is, is way bigger. So I'm looking forward for 2021. We're going to do another one at the end of the year, so I'm excited about that.
2: Excellent. And I I love hackathons. I'm always a big fan of participating and and hosting them myself. And there's a lot that we can discover and learn from these hackathons. It helps inform our product, our roadmap, new features. And so if you could share with our listeners today, what's some of the upcoming roadmap from a public standpoint that uh, we can expect out of Tonkin in 2021?
3: So we're focusing mostly on large enterprises these days. So I think there's a lot that we're going to add on that from that perspective as well and being able to like I said allow people to build true mission critical processes and things that you know run for a long time. We've already seen in our customers ability to actually work with processes around covid that you know things around vaccinations and tests and stuff like that. And companies that work with Tonkin were able to move really fast into deploy some of those solutions and actually start to create impact. So a lot of that work, but I think this year we'll start to see ways for us to also enable the technology for more organizations that are not only the, you know, the Fortune 1000. And we have a lot of requests for that already. And so I think a lot of things to to come up on that front, you know, later in the year.
2: That's right. Always exciting for those enhancement requests, but uh, bringing it home for our listeners today. You know, if you're someone who's just getting started in no code, or you want better solutions for your enterprise, why is now a special moment? What's a good call to action you'd like to share?
3: Definitely get educated of what's out there. I think there's a lot of great technology that is very complementary. I think there's a lot of noise marketing wise. A lot of things seems or sound the same. But it's because the opportunity is so big and there's so many things that we took for granted over the years. And I think we're, we now as a market are more open to what should I actually do with my time? You know, what does the, my team actually need to do with their time? And just th- throwing bodies at a problem doesn't make anyone happy. And so really the, the self-fulfillment becomes also important and the efficiency of the process becomes important. So I think technology has a lot to offer. And there's a lot of really great tools and, and vendors out there. So definitely get familiar with the space because I think you'll find yourself in a much more exciting, you know, day-to-day once you deploy some of those technologies. And, and I think that's a, I think that's important too, you know, to be happy with what you're doing every day. Not to mention the outcome for the business, but that's all almost table stake.
2: Sagi Aliyahu, the CEO and founder of Tonkin. Thanks for joining us on Humane.
3: Thank you, David. Thank you for
2: listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming...